listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Covering today, Christian suffering explained. One of the number one questions we get as ministers uh, that we get in church, people think they don't understand it properly. And um, yeah, sorry about that. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, uh, yeah, exactly. You do one teaching on uh, Christian suffering and then I'm literally suffering. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, But let me just cover quickly what I said at the very top. Share it if you didn't get a chance to share. Uh, Very important broadcast. But one of the first things I wanted to say at the very top was there are three very basic things that we have access to in the new covenant that they did not have access to in the old covenant. So you, as you heard me say, number one, they had no access to the blood of Jesus. Number two, they had no access to the name of Jesus. And number three, they had no access to the power of the Holy Ghost dwelling in them. They had no access to resurrection power as Romans 8, 11, uh, which is, I think, where it cut off, uh, they had no access to resurrection power on the inside of their bodies. So it's very important to understand that as a New Testament believer, you have an advantage, a huge advantage over those that were in the old covenant. And so what I want you to get very quickly is this, is that number one, you have access to redemption, the blood of Jesus. So when Jesus purchased some things for you on the cross, they're now yours by that inheritance of a spirit of adoption. You've been adopted into the family of God and those blessings and benefits now belong to you as a believer in the New New Testament covenant. And so that's number one. Number two, Jesus taught his disciples, up until now, you have asked the father nothing in my name, but then he was giving them the power of his name. Ask the father in my name and he will give it to you. And so you have access to the name of Jesus Christ. You did not have access to that in the Old Testament. None of those people could pray in the name of Jesus, but we can. And then finally, you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Resurrection life is inside your body. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and quickens or makes alive your mortal body. So the New Testament is very different than the old. And when when we talk about this uh, subject of suffering, Christian suffering, we need to be very clear about what we're talking about and define it properly. Uh, I said, one of the things that I said to you is that people that talk about this stuff love to quote half verses. And I read to you Psalm 34, 19. They love to say this one and they won't even open their Bible and read it. They just quote it to you. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Amen, brother. You know what the Bible says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Yeah, but keep on reading. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. The Lord delivers them out of them all. So understand that even in the Old Testament, although it said that the afflictions were many, it also said the Lord delivers them out of them all. And so it's very important that we define properly uh, what we're talking about when we're talking about suffering or the struggle or because there's, listen, there's many, many 
uh, churches, denominations that'll preach, you know, about the struggle. My God, you got, you're going through a mess right now. God's got you going through a mess so he can get you into the place. You know, God doesn't have to put you through a mess to get you into blessings. He doesn't have to put you through hurt to get you into healing. I mean, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I want you to understand this very plainly and very clearly today that God doesn't need to use evil things to make you a stronger believer. He doesn't need to use evil things uh, to bless his children. He doesn't need that. He is a good God who has all power in his hand and does not need to use evil things to help you. And so it's important that when we say suffering, we understand what we're talking about and, uh, and we're going to define that today in the New Testament. And then we're going to talk about what it's not. We're going to talk about what it is and what it's not. And the reason that we do that is because you need to have an answer to give to those that have questions regarding your faith or, uh, as Peter said, the hope that lies within you. And so it's very important that uh, you understand what we're talking about when we say the struggle. You know, people say that, well, the struggle is real, but you don't know what you're talking about. People don't know what they mean by that. Uh, talking about suffering. First of all, I don't believe in struggling. I understand the Bible teaches suffering. Let's understand what it is. So look at this. Uh, the first thing I want to do really is let's go to the gospel of Matthew chapter 10. The gospel of Matthew chapter 10. Now, one of the things we definitely do understand and which is what I'm going to show you right now, is that Jesus himself prophesied that there would be persecution and suffering. Persecution and suffering at the hands of evil men and women. And let's go to that. We can look at it here in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 10. And... Um, Let's start reading with verse number 16. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Listen to this. Um, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious about how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you're to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speaks, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you'll be hated. Now, verse 22 is very important. I get this. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's Matthew 10, 22. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the son of man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the servant or the disciple to be like his master. If they called the master of the house, Beelzebul or the devil, how much more will they malign those in his household? So notice what Jesus is teaching here. He's sending them out to do what they're called to do. Preach the gospel, teach, heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead, to bear witness 
of the kingdom of God. Same thing you're called to do. Exact same thing that you're called to do. You've been given the great commission. As a believer, you are called to do the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John 14, 12, the uh, works that I do, you will do also, and even greater works than these, because I'm going to be with my Father in heaven. So understand you are called to do the same thing that the disciples were called to do. And because you are, notice how Jesus teaches this. He teaches that you'll be hated all over the world for his namesake. Notice, you're hated not because of you, you're hated because of him. That's Matthew 10, 22. You're not hated because of you. You're hated because of him. One, one, I want you to think of it with, with this analogy will make it easy to understand. Let's say that this Bible represents a platform. This Bible represents a platform. And from the beginning of time, this platform has been hated. This platform has been hated. But notice, before you were born, this platform was hated. After you die, if Jesus tarries, this platform will be hated. And so before you were on this platform, you may not have been hated. But the moment you take a stand on this platform, you're hated because of Jesus' name. Now remember, it hated the platform. The world hated the platform before you were ever born. So it's not about you. It's about what you're standing for. And the moment you stand on this platform, you're hated along with the rest of this platform. And Jesus teaches that. That's what he says here at the end. He said, uh, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house, Beelzebul, that's Jesus, how much more will they malign uh, those of his household. So if you're in the household of Christ and if Christ is hated, let me explain something to you. There is something at work right now called an anti-Christ spirit. There's an anti-Christ spirit at work right now. It's against Christ. It's against the things of Christ. It's against God's word. It's against God's agenda. It's, it's totally, and the antichrist himself, the man, the antichrist will come out of this antichrist spirit, but it's already at work in the earth. It's always been, since Christ has been here, there's been an antichrist spirit at work in the earth. Before Christ was here, there was an anti-God spirit. What do you think Jezebel operated in? An anti-God spirit. She hated the prophets. She hated the word of God. She hated anything that had to do with Jehovah God and began to create gallows to hang the prophets. That's an anti-God spirit. And then Christ came. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And immediately there was an anti-Christ spirit. Think about how quickly the anti-Christ spirit began to operate. Herod sent out the message that all young boys, two and under, two years old and under, had to be killed. Why? Because he heard that the king was born. And he wanted to make sure, of course, he thought that this young boy would rise up and take his throne. That wasn't the plan. But his fear uh, allowed that antichrist spirit to start to operate. And they were looking to murder Jesus. And so in doing so, they murdered all of the boys, two and under, as Jesus and his family escaped to Egypt. 
until Herod's reign was over and they came back home. At the very beginning of Jesus' life, an antichrist spirit began to operate and continues to this day. Continues to this day. There is an antichrist spirit throughout the world. Isn't it interesting to you how much people hate Christians? Doesn't it blow your mind how much people hate Christians? I mean, to the point where overseas in other nations, they're willing to line them up on beaches and cut their heads off. They hate Christians. And Christian persecution has gone on from the time of Christ all the way until today. Christian persecution, listen to that, has gone on from the time of Christ all the way until today. In 2020, you'd think that we've come so far that, you know, that uh, that society has come so far, you know, that that stuff just doesn't happen anymore. It's still happening today. It's still happening around the world today. Christians are hated. Christians are killed. Christians are uh, abducted and tortured. It's happening all over the world. And it's something Jesus prophesied would happen. That's what Matthew chapter 10, you can read about it in Luke and in Mark. This prophecy in the Synoptic Gospels went out and Jesus was very clear that you'll be hated all over the world for my name's sake. If you stand with Jesus, there'll be a group that hates you. No question, because they have an antichrist spirit, an antichrist spirit. And so I want you to understand that we're seeing Christian suffering all over the world still today. That's what this broadcast is about, by the way, if you're wondering, because there's so much question about suffering as a believer, suffering as a Christian. But I want you to understand the context that the scripture teaches suffering. It is not in the context of being sick. It's not in the context of being you know, poor. It's not in the context of being depressed. It's not in the context of uh, you know, being uh, anxious or having no peace in your mind. It's not in the context of you know, God allowing your relationships to be destroyed, to teach you a lesson. It's none of those things. It is what Jesus prophesied in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is that you'd be hated all over the world for his namesake. So people who have an anti-Christ spirit are actively persecuting those who belong to Christ. This is the suffering that we've seen for 2,000 years. It is the suffering at the hands of anti-Christ men and women. Now, one of the things that blows my mind, I was, I was reading a book recently written by two men who are Pentecostal scholars. And the book was written regarding the rapture of the church and the Antichrist. And um, one of the things that surprised me very much about the book was the fact that uh, though they were both Pentecostal scholars and authors, they did not believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And one of their arguments was that Christians have been going through tribulation for 2,000 years. Now, here's why that blew my mind, is because the authors did not distinguish between persecution of Christians by evil antichrist men and women and the wrath of God. 
which is poured out from heaven, which takes place during the tribulation, seven-year period of the tribulation. And so they lump them both together as if the persecution of uh, Christians by evil men and women is the same thing as the wrath of God being poured out. And it is absolutely not. It is absolutely not. You couldn't read the book of Revelation and not understand that God is pouring his wrath out from heaven onto an earth that rejected Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But understand, we who are the children of God, we are not those that are supposed to have the wrath of God come upon our lives. That's the whole point of having Jesus. He took the wrath of God on his body so that those who received him by faith didn't have to go through the wrath of God. And understand, the tribulation is a time where God will pour out judgments upon the earth to those who rejected Jesus. We didn't reject Jesus. And as a result, we are not appointed unto wrath. Look that scripture up with me. We are not appointed unto wrath. And so I want you to hear this very clearly today because there's so many people that think that we are, that we should somehow be going through the punishments of God, you know, to make us better Christians. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians, Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. Listen to this. He's talking about the day of the Lord. That's the, that's the rapture of the church. Let me start with verse six. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk get, are drunk at night. Verse eight, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of hope and salvation. Now look at verse nine, for God has not destined us for wrath. Do you see that? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. That means dead or alive. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Notice what Paul taught them. We are not destined for the wrath of God. We are not destined for the wrath of God. If we received Christ, then the wrath of God is not for us. Who then is it for? It's for those who've rejected Christ. For those that have rejected Christ. The Let me just tell you, the tribulation is not for me and it's not for you. If you belong to Jesus, it's not for me and it's not for you. It's for those that have rejected Jesus Christ. And to try to put the two things in the same category is so foolish. The persecution of Christians by antichrist men and women is not the same category as God pouring out uh, trumpets, you know, the trumpet judgment, the bowls uh, judgments uh, in the book of Revelation during the time of tribulation. They are not the same thing. They're not even close to the same thing. It's one thing when men that have an antichrist spirit persecute you. It's another thing altogether when God pours out his wrath upon you. 
and they're, they're not the same. Number one, Jesus prophesied that believers would experience the persecution of men. But Paul had uh, the Holy Spirit inspire him to write that believers are not in any way destined for the wrath of God. So there are two very different things, and it's important to make that, make that point. And then also, let me go on to say this, and I know, I know our time got more limited since because of the interruption, but let me say this, it's very interesting and very important that you know it. If you believe, now I want you to just break this down with me. If you believe that sometimes God makes you sick for his purpose, sometimes God makes you poor for his purpose, Sometimes God makes you depressed for his purpose. You are saying that God is actively working against what Jesus did on the cross. Catch that with me. If you're teaching and believing that God uses sickness, poverty, depression, anxiety, broken relationships to teach his children or to put his children through something to make them stronger or to depend more fully on him, then you are believing and teaching that God is actively working against the redemption that Jesus purchased for us on the cross of Calvary. What you would have to believe to believe that is that God and Christ are working against one another for the same purpose. Christ was tortured and killed to remove sickness from his children. If God then went back and took that same sickness that Jesus took stripes upon his back so that he could deliver you from that sickness and put that sickness onto your body again, then God is slapping his son Jesus in the face and saying that sacrifice was for nothing. God does not take things that Christ redeemed us from and put them back on our bodies or in our minds or in our finances or in our relationships. He does not do it. He's not a double-minded God. In fact, he encourages us to be single-minded in the book of James. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You go back and read James 1, 6 through 8. 1, 6 through 8. Why would God encourage us strongly to not be double-minded when we ask him for things in prayer? And then say, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Don't let that man think he'll receive anything of the Lord. James 1, 6 through 8. So using that same scripture, if you had to turn it on God, you could actually say that God is a double-minded man and he's unstable in all his ways. If God is working against Christ and taking the things that he redeemed us from and then putting them back on us. Uh, in one action, you say, well, I don't want you to be sick. And then God's saying, no, I do want you to be sick. I don't want you to be poor. Oh, actually, I do want you to be poor. I don't want you to be broken. Oh, actually, I do want you to be broken. And so if, and this is what, listen, preachers are preaching this. Preachers are teaching this. And they, I don't, I don't understand how they're doing it. No understanding of the, of the word of God. Literally, to preach that, you're preaching that God is double-minded and that he's an unstable God, and he's not unstable. God is not, not only is God not uh, unstable, he's not schizophrenic. He doesn't feel one way about you one day and another way about you another day. God is the same. 
he remains the same. He actually said it in the book of Malachi. I'm the Lord your God. I do not change. I do not change. Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so this foolish, foolish message that Christians believe and that preachers preach, that God causes you to suffer for his glory, is one of the stupidest things that anybody with a brain could ever preach from a pulpit because they don't understand that that would make God double-minded. In fact, look at Jesus, by the way. Go to Hebrews chapter 1 and read this with me. Hebrews chapter 1, speaking about the nature of Jesus. This, this is an important scripture. Hebrews 1 and verse number 3. Listen to this. The Bible says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's, a, that's an important phrase. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Let me stop there because the point I, I said that I wanted you to see is this. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. The exact imprint. That's why Jesus was able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why is he saying that? Because he's the exact imprint of the nature of God. Okay, so because we understand that, go back through the Gospels and show me one time, just one, show me just one time where Jesus refused to heal someone and said to them, actually, you're one of the ones I can't heal because God, my father, put this sickness on you to teach you a lesson or to make you a stronger believer or to punish you for mistakes you've made. And so I would love to pray for you. I would love to be able to help you out of this, except I see now and realize my father gave you this for his own purposes. You won't find it one single time. What will you find? And he healed them all. And all who came to him, he healed. And he healed them. You know, you always find out the crowds, he healed them all. The only thing ever in the Bible that kept Jesus from being able to heal and touch those he wanted was unbelief. Reference Mark 6, 1 through 6. Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, 1 through 6. He went to his own hometown, wanted to heal them, could do their no mighty works because of their unbelief, and he marveled at their unbelief. It actually made him sad to see that he wanted to do good things for them and couldn't because of their doubt and unbelief. Had nothing to do with the fact God was using whatever their issues were to make them better or for his glory or for his purpose. Had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with their unbelief. You won't find one place in the scripture where Jesus would not or could not heal a person, bless a person, touch a person because he recognized God was causing them to go through it and God was the author of whatever their trouble was. You won't find it. And Jesus is the exact imprint of his father's nature, which means, that's why he would say, I can do nothing unless I 
uh, see the father do it. I can say nothing unless I hear the father say it. The reason he had that kind of life is because he was the imprint of his father. He couldn't go outside the boundaries of his father's nature. That's who he was prophetically. So understand Christ never saw believers suffering and said, yes, amen, that's that's for my father's glory. I, I, I'm allowing you to go through that because you know that's my father's desire for you. You won't find it. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Whoever created this foolish doctrine of suffering does not understand scripture. And, and apparently, as I'm walking you through this, the person who invented and preaches that doctrine can't even think logically. You're not even a logical thinker. You don't even have to have revelation of God's word. All you have to be able to do is two things, read and be logical. That's it. If you're literate, and have a logical mind, you can go through this word and understand without even having revelation, just reading and understand, well, wait a second, Jesus never did that. Jesus never did that. And he was God's exact representation of his nature. Uh, and he never left anybody in a place uh, where he said he would not heal them because it wasn't God's will for that individual person. Never happened. He never did that. He healed all that came to him in faith. In fact, go as far as to say this, any person Jesus encountered that was being attacked by the enemy, Jesus treated what they were going through as an enemy. He treated sickness as an enemy. He treated demon possession as an enemy. All these things he dealt with, he treated them like enemies and rebuked them. Now think about this. Because if Jesus rebuked them, the sicknesses, the diseases, the demons, but they were actually from his father, it was his father that put him on the people, then what Jesus would have been doing would have been be rebuking his father. And he would never have done that. He would never have done that. Jesus never did it, ever. And so that's what you need to understand in regards to anything Jesus purchased for you on the cross. And of course, one of the things um, that we have always given to you, especially through Miracle Word Kids, is the seven redemptive benefits in Revelation 5.12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, right? It's the same thing that we, that we confess with our kids every night. I'm powerful, I'm wealthy, I'm wise, I'm mighty, I have honor, I have glory, I have blessing. Revelation 5.12. Jesus died to purchase those things for you. And so it was God's will for those things to come into your life. So that's why Jesus shed his blood. What, what was that, a waste? Did Jesus do that wastefully? Or was it, uh, was it effective? Did it work? Of course it worked. Of course it's powerful. And now you can receive those blessings because it was God's will and it was what Jesus did in accordance with God's will and God never takes it back once he's given it to you. He doesn't take it back. And it's not his will for you to struggle. It's not his will for you to suffer in those ways. Understand that. It's not his will. He does never have a desire for you to, to struggle with sickness because it's his will for you to suffer with sickness. Don't believe that lie. Power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. That is God's desire for your life. Now, let's get back to what we were talking about before I pray for you and finish. Um, we talked about what suffering Jesus actually was talking about. And that's persecution for his namesake or for the gospel's sake. Let's go with me. I want you to look at this 
I want you to go to the book of Acts. Amen. Giselle's uh, given a testimony on YouTube. In Brazil now had a stomach issue while preaching at many churches. Had issues gone right now in Jesus' name from Faith Church. God bless you. Praise God. Go to Acts chapter 12 with me. I want to I finish by showing you this. Because people then ask the question, well, uh, if Jesus prophesied that uh, persecution would come upon believers, does that mean that I have to be persecuted? Because here's the final question we want to answer. Does that mean that I have to be persecuted? Does that mean that I have to be martyred? Does it mean that I have to be, um, you know, tortured or, or, you know, whatever you might be thinking, whipped, beaten, you know, whatever it might be. Does that mean that you personally have to be? And I'm, I'm going to give you this answer from the scripture that no, it doesn't mean that you personally have to be persecuted, killed, maimed, tortured. It doesn't mean that you personally have to be. Because understand, Jesus was prophesying corporately. He was saying that my followers at large, the group of those that follow me, will be hated all over the world for my name's sake. And of course, we know that especially in the early church throughout the first three centuries were heavily persecuted and martyred and killed. To this day, as I said a moment ago, to this day, people are martyred and killed for the glory of God. And by the way, they gain a special blessing for giving their lives for the gospel's sake. When they could easily just say, no, I, I reject Christ. I, I renounce my faith in Jesus. Don't kill me. I'll become a Muslim. I'll become whatever. You know, just don't kill me. But they don't. They stay with their faith and they're martyred. And the Bible teaches that there's a blessing that comes upon them for giving their life for the gospel's sake. But here we have the picture of, in the New Testament, at the book of Acts, Jesus, uh, or excuse me, Peter is imprisoned and is, uh, obviously they're planning to kill him. I want to show you this. James is killed and then Peter's imprisoned. Now, let me show you the context of this passage. The Bible says, uh, Acts 12, starting in verse 1, about that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was the day, during the days of unleavened bread. And when he'd seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. Now, let me stop here and say, the plan, when he saw that for political gain, it made the Jews happy that he killed James, he said, grab Peter too, let's do the same to him. And then after this, uh, this feast, we're gonna, bring him out, we're gonna bring him out to the people too. And so that was the plan. The plan was to persecute and kill martyr Peter in the same way that they did James. Now look at this, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So I want you to see something here. Peter, the same plan to kill him was in place. However, earnest prayer for him was made by God or made to God by the church. So notice what happened here. Although there was a plan to persecute Peter, 
Although there was a plan to assassinate him, to kill him for political gain, the church prayed. The church prayed. Now, I want you to go further. Verse 6. Look what the Bible says took place. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell from his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought it was a vision. And when they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to himself and he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, and the other uh, name was Mark, and uh, that's John Mark, where they were gathered together and they were praying. That's verse 12. And when they knocked at the door, the servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized his voice, went back and told the ones that were praying. So I want you to see what happened. There was a plan to persecute Peter. There was a plan to kill Peter. There was a plan to destroy his life. But the church prayed. And because the church prayed, even though Jesus prophesied that at large, Christians would be persecuted around the world. They would be hated for his namesake. They're still hated today, still persecuted today. But the question we're answering is, do you personally, do you personally, is it possible to have faith to escape death? Is it possible to have faith to escape uh, abduction, torture? And I believe the answer to that is yes. And we see it here in this passage of scripture from Acts chapter 12. As the church prayed, Peter was delivered from certain destruction and persecution. And I believe that you can do the same, that you can have a faith to stay free from being killed. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you in the long run, not just the short run. It's in God's best interest to keep you alive as one of his followers, one of his believers. It's in his best interest. He has an agenda that he wants fulfilled on the earth. He has a plan to bless the world through your life. And I believe you're not called to suffer with sickness. You're not called to suffer with disease. You're not called to suffer with poverty or lack. You're not called to suffer with broken relationships, with anxiety or suicidal thoughts. It's not your story. Don't ever believe again that Christians are called to struggle or to suffer from things that Jesus redeemed them from. But secondly, have the faith. Maybe you're going on a missions trip. Maybe you're a missionary in another country. Giselle said she's in Brazil right now. Don't go over there expecting to be uh, taken, abducted, beaten, persecuted, martyred. Go over expecting to accomplish what God called you to do. I'll finish with a story before I pray for, for you. There was a man that used to preach for my grandfather, and he had ministry in Africa. And in one of those instances when he was ministering uh, in, in, a, in a nation that was hostile toward the gospel, he was praying in their compound, and uh, it was a nighttime prayer meeting. And so they began to, as they were praying, they didn't even know anything was happening, nor that the Lord was working on their behalf. 
but there were a group of men in that city that not only hated the Christian missionaries, but wanted them dead. The next day after that prayer meeting, all of those men came to the man that my grandfather knew and uh, said, we want you to pray for us. We want to serve the God that you serve. And that blew the man's mind because he said he knew that these were the men that were hostile towards the gospel and that wanted to do violent things toward the church. And so he was interested. He said, well, why now? Why do you want to be saved now? What's the point? And they said, well, last night we came here to kill you. And what they, what he didn't know was they had all come up to the compound with machetes and weapons coming to kill him and all the rest of the Christians. And they testified. They said, when we got here last night, there were two massive men dressed in white holding swords. And we realized that we could not hurt you. We could not kill you. We couldn't take you out. And so we realized your God is more powerful than our God. We want to serve your God. What just happened? Although Jesus prophesied many would be persecuted and hated for his name's sake, what happened? As they were praying, God protected their lives as well. I believe your prayers will keep you in a place of protection. You can quote and, uh, and, and confess Psalm 91 over your life, that though a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, the things of this world will not touch you in Jesus' name. I want to pray for every person that's watching me because I know we do have people that don't just watch in America. The persecution of Christians in America is non-existent, nothing like we see in other nations. But if things continue to go and Jesus tarries, things will get worse in the world. But the belief for God's people is this, things get better. Things get better for us. I want to pray for those because I know there's others watching in other nations where you might be persecuted. But today I'm going to pray for you and ask God to touch you and ask God to protect you and your family. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would touch your people. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you would protect them, keep them under your wings, blow your breath from heaven and blow every wicked thing away from their homes, blow every wicked thing away from their children, their lives. I thank you that no antichrist plan or agenda can take them out for your hand of protection is on them in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you. Now use us mightily for your glory. Use us for your glory in these final moments before Jesus comes. Open doors of opportunity and let many souls be saved because of our faithfulness in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, amen. I love you guys so much. Before we go today, let me give you an opportunity to sow a seed. If you appreciate this ministry, if you love what Carol and I are doing, you're believing that this final moments that we're talking about, these final moments are moments of opportunity. These are moments to see people saved and changed by the power of God like never before. We're already seeing mighty miracles in 2020. We're already seeing the largest altar calls that we've ever seen in churches take place this year. We're getting ready to go overseas uh, in just a couple of weeks, really. And I want you to stand with us and believe for revival in these nations and on these continents, believing that God's changing this world through his church like never before. It's the greatest day to be alive there ever was. Pray right now and say, Lord, what kind of a seed would you have me sow today that's gonna change my life, change my future, change my family. God has a plan to do that, but it all begins with a seed that you're willing to sow. And so let's pray right now. Father, speak a word to every man and woman watching or listening 
and give them an instruction as to what seed you'd have them sow today. And as they sow it, we thank you that increase is quickly coming to their home, to their life. We give you glory and praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You can go to miracleword.com and click on the Give tab and give there. If you'd like to partner with us on a monthly basis, click the Partner button, and there you can fill out a form and sow your seed every single month. I want to say I love you to every one of our partners, those that are standing with us. If you'd like to give by Cash App or Venmo, the username is MWGive. And of course, our PayPal information is on the screen as well. For every person that's sowing $85 this month or more, we're going to send you this book by my friend, Pastor Alan DiDio, Encounter, forward by Dr. Rod Parsley. This is a powerful book that talks to you about how to have an encounter with God and live in the power of the fire of the Holy Ghost. Those that are sowing $1,000 or more this month, this is a beautiful, genuine leather study Bible in the New Living Translation that we're going to send you. This is the number one best-selling study Bible in the United States of America. And it's, I'm telling you, it is awesome. It's got so, so much built in to help you study the word at a deeper level. This is literally a treasure to have in your library uh, for your family. We're going to make this out to you and send it to you as our gift to you. Those of you sowing a thousand or more, we're going to send you the book and the Bible as well. And we love and appreciate you. We just finished camp meeting here in Florida. It was powerful. Miracles, signs, and wonders uh, were taking place. We're getting ready to go to Michigan in just a few days, really. And if you're anywhere close, I want to see you in Michigan. We'll be there for, the, for an entire week, Sunday through Sunday. And uh, I want to see you there. All the details are at miracleword.com. And you can get the address, the directions, whatever you need. But we're in the Detroit area coming up in March. And I definitely want to see you there. We love you guys so much. Don't forget, all of the new courses are available at Miracle Word University. I want you to go check them out at MiracleWordU.com. I know they'll build your faith and be a blessing to you. And once again, don't forget the new magazine is getting ready to ship for the spring. And if you're not a part yet of, of the family getting these magazine editions every quarter, go to miracleword.com forward slash live and fill out the form and we will send you uh, a copy of the, of the magazine every time it's released. I love you guys so much. I'll be back again tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. with no internet issues in Jesus' name. We love you guys so much. Have a powerful, powerful day. And I'll talk to you again very soon. Have a blessed one. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.